When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Welcome to the MIP. Yeah! You knew this was coming. Guess who? We'll start this thing off. Join me every week for the Michael Irvin Podcast. We'll give you the full MIP experience. I'm talking everything from football to fashion. I will be chopping it up with playmakers, headline makers, and I am throwing haymakers. I'm the MVP of the MIP. Don't miss it. Download new episodes of the MIP, the Michael Irvin Podcast, every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and Spotify. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Seth Partnow, my colleague at The Athletic and incredibly talented basketball mind, and there's no one that I'd really want to have on more to sift through the insanity that has been the last week in the NBA. Not only did you have the draft and a bunch of other trades, but also the start to the transaction signing season. And so a lot to get through with Seth and absolutely love having him on. Hope you enjoy it too. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It has been uh, quite the long weekend. It has. I mean, it, it, this ha- there hasn't really been a week like this in the NBA just in terms of the frequency of events. I'm not saying everything is seismic or cataclysmic or anything like that. And, I mean, we have a lot to, to, a lot to go through or areas that we could potentially discuss. And so I'll start with just this. What is your biggest takeaway from the last few days? I think for as much as was made of all oh, guys in restricted free agency are going to get uh, going to get squeezed. There's not a lot of money out there. Yada yada yada. Um, I think the players who got in free agency this year did pretty well for themselves, and um, I'm not sure how well teams kind of used their their leverage to to their advantage. Yeah, I think that's a really fair point. And so there's, I mean, the distinction that Nate often makes is internal versus external. So it's basically, you know, like internal leverage is the Joe Harris situation where you can't lose me, so pay me. And then external is Team X wants to pay me, so you have to pay me that much or more. And there were a lot of situations this year where... It didn't seem like the player had a ton of external leverage. There were even situations where it didn't seem like they had a ton of either. 
and yeah. really and really did get paid and and so I don't know if that's just teams couldn't help themselves if that was um like really what really what necessarily led to that other it might have been a little bit impatience but especially as we started to see through the week teams kind of take themselves out of cap space considerations so the Phoenix Suns did that through the Chris Paul trade then Detroit kind of did it and then undid it and then did it again with the you know when they got Ariza and then made all their other series of moves and that and so like yeah you you kind of tied those things together so not only did the guys who didn't appear to have a ton of external leverage get paid then other guys just got paid too like the Jeremy Grant deal and the Gordon Hayward and numerous others yeah like i'm i'm glad you you noted Joe Harris because i thought two of kind of the the two deals that i kind of felt came in right where i thought they would were Joe Harris and Fred VanVleet uh, and it was both both were situations where you can't afford to lose me uh, I kind of want to stay, but if I need to, I'll take a one-year deal and get back out on the market. Uh, and and next year there'll be more money, so I'll get paid a lot. So I, I think that there was there was sort of that in those two cases, but I think in a lot of other ones there was a lot of uh, what I find is that when teams fixate on a player instead of a group of players, that they end up. Well, we can't lose this guy, so we got to give him an extra million and a player option and a trade kicker and uh, and goodies, goodies, goodies. Where you might do better if you just kind of wait and it's like, okay, one of these five guys is going to be without a chair when the music stops, and let's sign that one. Right, and and the teams the teams that rushed rush rushing helped those players get good position because you know there's this early mover late mover dynamic that happens, and it's true that sometimes being a late mover means you get worse talent but it also generally means that you get worse talent at a you know at a reasonable price and then you have to balance the the margin that you lost versus the savings that you got and so i'll give an example <laughs> there's, uh, there's plenty to pick from so i'm interested oh, well, I was thinking, you go with this I, my thought was the center position and so oh, yeah. i mean i th- i can kind of see... still have a lot to pick from so <laughs> exactly like i mean though you have less after the center bonanza that the Toronto Raptors went through giving Aaron Baines and Chris Boucher money for yeah. one year. But you like, so you have, yes, I would argue that Robin Lopez and Mason Plumley are better than, and Tristan Thompson to an extent are better than some of the lower end backup center options. You know, they're like the Taj Gibson or John Henson, but are they 7 million a year better? Are they, you know, like, like what are, and especially where, the center position to me is a great version of it because a you can fill that like you can do it with three roster spots instead of two, and there there aren't scarcity issues. But what there are, and I think this is part of what led to it happening, is the position has become very stratif. It's become very kind of modif. It, it, I don't know the right word for this. So there are a lot of different types of centers, and so for the teams that thought we need this type of guy, there the supply was somewhat limited. So I think in certain situations, some players probably and agents more more accurately cultivated scarcity even though there absolutely wasn't scarcity and a backup center doesn't have to be a system fit right i mean it's it's almost like you can make an analogy to football it's it's are you a are you a a you know a a, a three four or a four three linebacker like those are i'm not the you know i'm not the biggest football whiz but my understanding is is those are just like the the 
they're the same name, but they're completely different players that the, the things that you call upon them to do are completely different. And it's so it's like, oh, we need a traditional rim protecting center. We need to stretch big. We need this. We need that. And so you you slice and dice the market more finely. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, my goodness, um, the only mobile center who can pass and maybe possibly protect the rim a little is Mason Plumley. So I guess we got to pay whatever it takes. And that you know you you can get you can see even like the qualifiers I went through how that puts you in kind of a weird position where you're almost negotiating against yourself. Like you know there's okay there's the 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 kind of the 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 high end starting caliber centers and then even like the lower down ones though you know maybe guys who signed like Aaron Baines and 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 Jakob Pertl, um, a lot of teams played in the same price range as Aaron Baines and Jakob Pertl without getting close to that level of player. Right, and that was one of the other things that I kind of got a better sense of during the during the mock-off season exercise, which was basically a lot of teams had similar amounts of money, and you can theoretically, like with the mid-level exception, you can separate it into multiple players, but that can be hard to do logistically. You know, each guy's at that point, depending on how old they are, not getting that much more than the minimum. And so it's unlike you end up in situations like what Washington did, where they paid they paid their guy, Davis Bertans, another one of those internal leverage guys. And then they had basically the mid-level exception. That was about it. So they gave Lopez almost all of it, and then they kind of filled the filled around that. And so Lopez, you know, that was kind of the capacity they had. And they're like, well, we might as well give that to one guy. He's relatively good. And so while I was floored that Lopez opted out because it's like, well, why are you giving these kind of centers that definitely aren't starting for you, though Lopez is probably starting for the Wizards, much more than the minimum? And then almost all of them got meaningfully more than the minimum. Yeah, and Lopez, at least, that's that's one of those, it's only money because it's one year. So sure. you, you kind of, um, there's a little bit of use it or lose it there for, for, for Washington. So, you know, why not? Um, the, the opportunity caught, but teams that went multiple years for above minimum dollars for fungible backup centers early, you know, I, I don't know, like you said, Taj Gibson is still out there. Um, your mileage may vary greatly, but Hassan Whiteside is still out there. Um, so the, you know, it's possible. It is possible that that there was, you know, we've seen the last couple of years, teams get a little bit of value at the lower end of the scale by, you know, poaching these kind of mid prime guys from Europe. Um, and with, I, I, I'm trying to think, but I think the only like American player coming back from Europe is Anthony Gill. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just wondering if that's just because of the the kind of the the oddness of how the you know the pandemic related schedule is is playing so that that you weren't really having the same you know there there was no Daniel Tice this year or not there's not there wasn't even a Vincent Poirier yeah that's year. true and and yeah I think that might have been might have been an element of it also those yeah those players being pretty well settled Campazzo is probably the the other yeah. kind of differentiator and it seems yeah. like he kind of had this lined up in his head the whole time and so that's yeah. a, di- a different mentality. I wonder if that means we'll see an additional influx next year just because of the guys who were maybe considering it and, and didn't go in. And it's not like the draft where you have to choose at a given moment in time. You can kind of see where things are and see sure. what offers are on the table. And the NBA being later in the process, I think, did really affect 
some of those dynamics, also potentially the U.S.'s place within their, you know, managing COVID and everything else. I think that could be a real factor as well. And that kind of connects with something that I think is one of the one of the dynamics that I think shaped the offseason more than we will remember years and years from now. And I'm thinking specifically about the Toronto Raptors here is I wonder if Marcus and or Serge Ibaka, I'm not even wondering, I it would be my expectation that if the season were quote-unquote normal, and the Raptors were playing in Toronto. I think there's a very significant chance that one or both of them is playing on the Raptors this year. But if the choice is you're going to get a one-year contract if you're going to the Raptors no matter what because they're keeping their powder dry, would you rather spend that year primarily based in Tampa Bay or in— and they ended up both choosing L.A. And I think no, that, no state taxes. Yeah, but I mean— if, I mean, the, the state taxes thing matters a lot more for certain people than others, and you know also, it, that's also that's going to be like I've the, just you know as an aside, there's there's going to be a lot of that weirdness this year because of people working remotely basically and wondering out just like as an aside, and this is not something either of us know, but like I'm just wondering like you know between like the U.S. and Canadian government. How the tax situation is going to work for the Raptors this year? Yeah, that is, that is um, an interesting question, and I mean that to me the the COVID element of this is also what stunned me the most about not the level of spending, but who did the spending this year? Is that I thought not having fans or having reduced fans gave a selection of teams not carte blanche, but an an, an understanding that hey, we can we can cut down on our costs this year and that's totally fine because you know we're not going to have fans in the arena and all that and so some of the bad i thought some of the bad kind of cheap teams could just stay bad and cheap for this year and there wouldn't be the blowback because that and so like you could think about for me even into the draft Charlotte ends up getting Lamelo Ball. Okay, you know this, the, you're 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 early on in this. You're gonna t- it's gonna take a little bit of time and need to you know there's gonna be rough patches with with Lamelo. That's just the way this works. Detroit drafts Killian Hayes, young point guard. Gonna take a while. Even if, if he ends up being good, great. But you don't know all that, and you want to give those guys some reps. And then both of those teams just spend so aggressively and. It I would I knew it was a possibility because like, there is always the chance the teams are going to you know see the opportunity to improve even if what they're improving to is I don't know mediocre and say we're going to do that but I, the the severity of it stunned me I yeah neither team is going to be good this year right that neither would be my is, expectation neither, neither team is going to be good next year probably but that next next summer the summer after that's when they're going to like have a sense of what they what their team they're building is and they've pre-spent that money not just on the contracts they've signed but the dead money they've added i just i i i am i am baffled by the um affirmative use of the stretch provision i'll put it that way it's 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 i think it's more meant as a get out of jail free card or you know, all right. Well, this guy's got a million, so you know we we need that extra couple hundred thousand. So if we take three hundred thousand each of the next couple, like of years, the Quinn, like the Quinn Cook one, yeah, like that's it, it's. It, but when you start, you know, when you start, you know, you now you're starting every season at like, you know, Charlotte's going to be at like an eight percent salary cap deficit because of stretching Nick Batum, like. Detroit, depending on how it works out, is going to be at a four or five percent. Like you know, you're you're in those markets. You're already your your dollars don't go as far, and now you have 
not just you know for ownership issues, whatever they may be, but you literally under the rules of the game have less money to spend because you've you've pre-spent it on guys that aren't on your team. And it's not like, you know, okay, you sign a bad contract, maybe you can get out of it. This is dead money. This is if I mean if you remember when we when we kind of criticized the the Memphis deal um for for um waiters the, 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 yeah it was those it was it was, it was the, like that that chunk of 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 i don't know of darkness that is just like on their cap sheet you know they, they would they have given how this played out would they have liked to have a little bit of that i think they could have like there was probably value to be had somewhere um so anyway, that's that that was that was something that was that was surprising to me. Well, and it it reared its head in some interesting ways. I mean, the there were, Nate brought this up a little bit on the podcast we did on Saturday, but like for the Bucks that they had this dead money tied to various different, you know, kind of low end dead money tied to a couple of players, you know, that that impacted the capacity they had to spend. Yeah, and, I mean, the, the obviously like the you know, the Larry Sanders bit of that is like its own thing. Yes. So, like you, you know, it's, um, that's that. Like that, you maybe you put that off yeah. to the side. But like John then, John Lure owing yeah. him owing him three million. That's a, that's a challenge. And then the other one with this is like they ended up getting under by trading T.J. Leaf on Sunday, but the Pacers are still paying Monte Ellis. Oui. <laughs> like, and that's still not only are they paying him, it's still on their books. And like, I, I think that. The other, the other part of it, and he, the, you, I think you retweeted somebody who kind of got into this uh, at, at, in a different angle, is using the stretch provision on a significant salary should be something that everybody in the front office, especially the lead decision maker, should think. Okay, what I re, re, that is a trigger to reassess, really think hard about everything that you're about to do. Yeah, because. If you need that, you need to be like, okay, this is to add something truly special. This is to – and yes, that's that teams almost always sell themselves on the specialness of, of what is to come. But but $39 million a year for Gordon Hayward. Exactly. Like $39 million a year for Gordon Hayward, the collection of – Only 30 of which – only 30 of which is actually movable. Like, right. The, like the nine is just a brick that is that is weighing you down. And yeah, that you can't do anything with, and it's not like they can apply to get that removed. This isn't a circumstance like that. It's just, it's just there, and it like they it was just so straightforward. And Charlotte, you know, they they had you know they had pathways, and also like these teams that, especially Charlotte, that you know looked like they could go the young the young slow route, build build assets, uh, you know crawl, walk, run. It's not like they spent big on young players who can grow with this group. And maybe, you know, like the Christian Woods of the world, the Derek Jones Juniors of the world. And we don't know how much better those players are going to be than what they are right now. But Gordon Hayward in particular, even if we ignore the injury history, which which we should not and will not, but his trajectory just makes completely no sense with the rest of the rest of the Hornets team not just LaMelo Ball but Devontae Graham and PJ Washington and everybody else like as the, when those guys are starting to come into their own Hayward is going to be worse than he is right now even if we assume that he stays healthy yeah um I mean I think that you you know you're we're applying that notion to teams that we think aren't going to be that good teams that are, they think 
there's two teams that I think got in the short term significantly better where similar logic applies. And, you know, it's defensible in the in the case of, you know, a team like the Hawks or a team like the Suns where they're better now. They are. Both both teams have to feel reasonably good about their playoff chances now. I mean, I, we're, I think we're both assuming that uh, that Bogdanovich does not get matched by the Kings, right? Uh, that is, I'm leaning that direction. I'm not completely sold, and part of the reason why I'm not is because I would match. Like, I I think Bogdanovich is a is a good player. I think that that salary isn't terrible for him, and yeah, the the goodies like the trade bonus and all that make it harder. But for example, I, I would rather have Bogdan. Like, I'd be fine with him on that contract if I were Sacramento. And it's not like they have a great use of that money. And so it's not it's not a no brainer to me. Like I, this is one that if I were in Monty McNair's footst- in, in Monty McNair's chair, I would have some real trouble with. But I would go that direction. But I I mean, especially when you consider the fact that it was at least reported that they were willing to. <laughs> you already traded me once. Yeah, you already traded me <laughs> once. But they were getting value in that. You yeah. know, they were getting DiVincenzo and. Well, and, I I think from like that that's the kind of thing that that you are. Well, it makes sense. But I um I think that the that. By and large, especially younger players, don't see it as oh well they got like I that's great I am in, I am in such demand that they got great value for me it's like they didn't believe in me so they traded me so yeah. and th- so that's I mean I think that's just like that's the any time that's part of the reason why any time a trade falls through there's some there's some there's some fences that needed to be mended very true and so yeah if we go back to the Suns and the the Hawks. One of the other parts that I think is different about those two teams, and it, yeah, I guess I maybe we separate the Hawks and the Suns a little bit in this, is, is the idea of opportunity cost. So for Phoenix, I had this idea going back to, I want to say like March, or like that basically they had one bite at the new edition via spending money Apple. Now there could be a trade, there could be a signing. And they had it over two years. It could be in 2020 or in 21 because then then the other things start to erode and they just that's just basically when the opportunity goes away. And Chris Paul is older than the players that I probably envisioned for that, but he's also better than the players I envisioned for that. And it's I, I'm a little bit torn just because it violates some of the ideas that I generally hold, which is you know like trying to have trying to have guys age together, and that it, it leads to a kind of a little bit more of like I'll call it a mesa where they're going to rise and they'll probably stay 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 a little bit flat as Paul ages out and then the other guys get better, but. It's going to be a little bit of a sugar high, though. It is going to be a little bit of a sugar high. And then for the Hawks, they just, I mean, especially because we don't know other than Trey, which of their young players is really going to be worth. And I mean, Hunter and Reddish, if they're even that good, it's going to be another three years until they get paid. So it's kind of like, well, you can do this. The, the, The opportunity cost is more like, could you have done better with that money in a future year? And I... Am not completely confident that they that they will. So then, with the Hawks, it's kind of like, okay, we got a lot better. That's great. One, can they keep everybody happy? And that's going to be a real challenge because they have a lot of rotation, not only rotation caliber players, but players that expect to have significant roles. And then the other one is, can can they figure out just what they have? And maybe you're not even getting assets back, but just kind of sort through all this. It's it's not. It wasn't their own guys, but this is reminiscent. Like like John Hollinger talks about. Um, uh, it was summer of 2016 when Miami went all in on mediocre. 17. Yeah. 17. Thank you. Yeah. And, and incidentally, do you know what triggered that? Please tell me. Not getting Gordon Hayward. <laughs> it's the dominoes. It's the dominoes. I mean, so yeah, what happened yeah. then was the Heat wanted to keep their cap space 
ready to to go after Gordon, Hay- Gordon Hayward. And Hayward decided pretty quickly. I mean, it was delayed within July 4th, but he decided on July 4th. And back when that was a thing that players would take a couple days. Oh, that's right. Wasn't, wasn't that the one where it like, leaked he's going to Boston? He's like, no, 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 I haven't decided yet. And then he went to yes. Boston. Yes, and I was yeah. in Salt Lake City at the time, and we turned around from going to lunch because it sounded like something was going to happen. And then it was another six hours. <laughs> that was very frustrating. Um, but so, yeah, so, but then Miami spurned by that kind of a little bit later in the process, they used their money to sign to bring in Kelly Olenek, who was cut loose because the Celtics had to withdraw his qualifying offer to sign Hayward. And then they kept their own guys. That was the, oh God, it was, was it 10 and 32, James 32 Johnson, and 10? Yeah. But it was the, yeah. like the one where they had the, they had the reciprocal, the, the run, yeah. the run. And so that was Dion Waiters, James Johnson, and man, we can we actually, I mean, think about it. You can you can kind of make a little bit of a parallel between that and and just you saying that make a parallel between that and the Bubble Suns. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, taking a limited sample, knowing that you only have a a short term bite at it, and going after it. But what I think is a little bit different for the Suns is I don't know. Like, first of all, Chris Paul's only signed for two years. So you could argue that that's a down point, downside is that there was a stability, but he's older and you could see if he had been signed longer, then he might be in a Russell Westbrook situation. Um, but also, just they, like, ha-ha at that, but yeah, like, <laughs> who else, who else could they, like, I, I don't think that there was some, you know, right. magic, magic situation that would have, that would have arisen in 2021. Like maybe they could get in the Oladipo Derby, but I don't think he fits as well. We also don't know what Victor Oladipo is going to be anymore. And so, you know, like, I, I, I'm more cautious than I think some might be because it will make them better. Like, I don't think you and I argue about that at all, no. but there is totally sugar high potential. It's, it, it's sort of, and uh, it, it, it's not just Chris Paul's age. It's Chris Paul's sort of control. You know, it's like, that's that, that he has a way of, of, with the exception of his time in Houston, he has a way of becoming his team's identity. And Phoenix had kind of developed a different one and that so that's going to be interesting well and i um, mean and a basic way of thinking about that is well chris paul is a wonderful passer his teams don't run a whole heck of a lot and yeah. the suns i mean you could maybe do the kind of the his split. teams also don't you say they don't run a lot like in terms of pace but they also tend to be uh fairly stationary yes they run a lot of like kind of you know mid pick and roll probing stuff with guys standing and looking and uh, some of the best stuff that the Suns did, um, like, you know, w- was putting Booker in a lot of actions on the move where he could, you know, he could come off screens, he could duck in and post, he could, you know, he could backdoor cut um, and just wonder how much of that kind of how many of the different ways that Booker has developed to score um, can coexist with Chris Paul, like, generaling. Yeah. That's a, a really a really worthwhile thing to consider, and I mean, there you could think about you could put this in a bunch of different contexts, but I think an important one to con- to consider, and this kind of goes even back to the center discussion we had in the very beginning, is how much in in what circumstances does bringing in a player change what you do, and in what circumstances does that change the player? And with Chris Paul, like especially because of how good he is, and because functionally speaking, when a player has the ball in their hands, the team is going to take on more of their personality on the court because that's just the way this works. And that will be that will be a real fight. And then the Suns, you know, maybe they can run more of that the what they did last year, the Bubble Sun stuff when when Chris Paul's off the floor. And I guess that'll be when Cameron Payne is on the floor, or maybe Javon Carter, depending on how, how Monty structures the backcourt minutes. But 
and, and you're going to keep Chris Paul's minutes down in the regular season, I would assume, if you can, and we'll see if they can. But you're right. I mean, that it it and it wouldn't be kind of practical to assume that they're going to do exactly the same stuff with Chris Paul. It is possible that there will be some elements in play, but if you if I had to guess between the Suns looking more like a Chris Paul team and Chris Paul playing more like the the Suns did last year, I know which way I'm going. Yeah, I think that's right. And then and so that has, you know, may, this might be, you know, a little bit who cares. But, you know, that that's going to be the way they play for the next two years. And then that ends. And, and you know, um, guys like Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges have been, you know, doing maybe more watching than uh, than they might in another system. And and then where are you? And that's you know, that I don't think that's a that, that's that's more going to the again, the sugar high element. I think it, it sounds like I'm it, I think it sounds like I'm being more down on the move than I feel because I mean, I think it was the like the. The asset cost was very reasonable. They're gonna be good, and it's it's you know they're they're a little bit playing two different games right now. They're trying to win on the court and you know make sure Devin Booker wants to stay. <laughs> so uh, it, it, in that sort of calculus, the sugar high might have some value, you know on 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 top of on top of you know not let's not dismiss like the value for a team that's been bad for a long time, like having a couple pretty good years. That's not nothing. It it really isn't, and I mean, you think about the difference, and I'm guessing this is what's in the back of Phoenix's mind, and they're joined at the hip because everybody knows they're friends at this point, but also, I mean, they they could end up playing together with Carl Anthony Towns, and not necessarily entirely due to what Garrison Rosas has done. I mean, a lot of this is just the structures that were in place, thank you, signing Andrew Wiggins to a max contract a year early. Max extension, I should clarify. Um, but like Minnesota, they'll be better, but they probably won't be good. And I mean, what what's so to me stunning about where Minnesota is now, and that's not to say every contract they signed this offseason was bad or anything like that, is it's going to take time for this to change for them. And so with Minnesota, you're looking more at, okay, maybe the first real big shifts here, if they need them, are in 22-23. Well, at that point, Towns is two years away from unrestricted free agency. And so they, like, I don't think they need to be freaked out now because there's time for it to work out. Maybe they... Also, stop it. Stop it. That's hey. not, like, no, no, I'm just, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I, well, this, so I, when the, on Monday, when the, uh, I asked this on Monday and maybe jokes on me a little bit, but like the way things were looking on Monday with, you know, various deals for the Bucks getting announced, it sure looked like there was some understandings in place. And so I was wondering, well, who's going to be the next guy that everyone's like, and like the, the the two names everyone came back to me with were Booker and Towns, and it's just like I, I just don't want to get right back on that merry-go-round again. No, I don't. Oh. I don't. E- I don't either. Um, but it's just you. You start to think about well, where where are these teams going? And I mean, I think that is, and the way that I was I was trying to work myself through this in Charlotte. It's like, why do I hate this signing for the Gordon Hayward thing? And what the way the kind of the way that I was articulating it and i might start writing pieces in this way is look forward so team team a is not good now and you look at okay two years from now how will their the current players that they have on roster like especially the young guys that are under team control where will they be and are they kind of if if we're being realistic but also you know you can be a shade optimistic if you want are you how are they going to be in terms of team and part of the reason why the charlotte spending really bothered me was their young guys aren't going to be ready then like they don't have enough young guys and they're not going to be ready then so like 
maybe Lamelo is great, and maybe PJ Washington, but like Miles Bridges hasn't shown a ton. And so, like, they to me, what that says when you when you do that test and you look a couple years ahead and you don't have that, then that means you need to spend a little bit more time building. And if you have it, then that's when you start to throw it. And so, like Phoenix, I think they're you know with with Booker and Aiton and Bridges doing well, their Bridges doing well. And Camp Johnson having a better than expected year. Like, I'm not saying they had to like go all in. It's the finals or nothing next year. But you could feel good that they have enough there, and that you yeah, don't need that you don't need another year or two in the doldrums to get there. But if you do that same exercise with Detroit, you do that same exercise with Charlotte, you get a different return. And I understand that that's a very hard thing to convince an owner of to save your job or whatever and like that's all or, or, or just to you know give yourself a firm footing but god i wish i wish there could be more patience because the returns on it are generally pretty good i you know i i wouldn't have even like i thought i would have thought thought it was too much but i wouldn't have hated if charlotte had the room to just sign gordon hayward I wouldn't hate it i would think it's, it's a lot for gordon hayward and he's you know he's not that guy anymore but you know but Charlotte, but that's that's a place where like they need something and, and their money is less, their cap space is yeah. less valuable. Like that's yeah. that's just something we have to acknowledge. Yeah, and that that gets the, the them somewhere. It's just going to, you know, it, it's it, the, that that extra bit is what just pushes it over the top into kind of like no, don't do that. <laughs> um, and I, I just I don't know if there's if there's any way to you know any, any way to, to you know you're not just you're 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 overpaying him by, you know, you know, rational market. What do you think Gordon Hayward gets? Does he does he get four eighty? Am I shorting him a little? Does he get four one hundred? Does he get? I think it's probably, probably I think it's there. probably four four ninety is what I was thinking. Like yeah, a little bit okay. less than twenty five a year. Okay, so you're you've already kind of you you've already you know overshot the market by a third, and now you've added another third on top of that, in, just in terms of your of your you dead know, money. Yeah. It's like you, you do one of those and okay, the small market haven't been good in a while. Got to do something. One of those, but you do both of them. And now it's, anyway, I, we spent too much time talking about that. I don't want to, I like, it's bad. Everyone knows it's bad. We don't need to kill them anymore for it. Yeah. Um, do, can we, can we talk about the Hawks a little more? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what do you think? So let's, for the sake of this exercise, let's assume they get Bogdanovich because then that's easier yeah. to discuss than 18 yeah. million in cap space when everybody else is gone. I like a lot of the players they have. I don't know how to structure it into a starting and closing five that I love, but I think the pieces are there. And, you know, like Bogdanovich can be a complimentary ball hander, which they needed in the worst way. The, like the, the, the biggest sin of the 2019-20 Hawks, the reason that Travis Schlenk is GMing for his job right now, is that he didn't have enough creation. Basically, that they when Trey Young was off the floor, especially, but also like when the ball wasn't in his hands is another way to put it, they didn't have enough. And so getting, you know, you could argue that Rondo and, and Dunn, to the extent that he does that, and Bogdanovich would be a little bit excessive, especially because Gallo likes to have it to some extent as well. But... A lot of those guys, not all of them, can shoot, and so that's <laughs> useful. And you can, and and so like I think they could have some really potent offense. 
And then the idea, especially if your goal is not to like win a championship, but maybe it's to make the playoffs, is get just enough on the other end. And so the theory is Capella and Onyeka Kongwu and ideally Cam Reddish or Hunter, you know, like that you can get, you could be like, let's say 24th in defense as opposed to 28th or 29th. Like if you're really good on offense and you're not abysmal on defense, it helps. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean. uh, You know what's funny? I said the 24th instead of 28th thing. I didn't realize they were 28th, including the glass defense when I said that. I don't know if that's just my brain knowing it and me just putting it out there, but I'm proud of myself. It seemed right. I wasn't wasn't in doubt. I knew knew the bottom two because that was the Cavs and the Wizards, though uh, Fred Katz corrected me that I hadn't realized that the Wizards – uh, that the Wizards passed the ca- oh no I think that might have been in non cleaning the glass defensive rating um, okay. on the last day like the last day of the season amazing <laughs> they they did some they they got they did some garbage time lockdown yeah on appar- last- apparently or something yeah like that. um no I'm just like the the thing that's intro like again is the um first of all like the, I, I don't even know if it's sneaky at this point but Bogdanovich is older yes twenty eight Gallo is is what is he is he 30 is he older than that gallo's, th- gallo's 31 and i would argue he's an older 31 yes that's exactly what i was gonna say so again we're talking about like you know, like you're doing some time frame stuff and time frame stuff that also kind of all right if you if if you uh if you make these moves because you're like ooh, we screwed up deandre henry's not gonna be good all right fair, fair play but what about like john collins um i, th- I feel like there's a trick that was missed I don't think I don't think his trade value is going to be higher in four months than it is now. And I also don't know if they can kind of keep this together, you know, kind of let's call it emotionally, because this isn't a team that has like the the equity with their best players to be like, oh, you're playing way less. So and that's okay because we like we want a championship. You're going to get your opportunities like they haven't made the playoffs. They might make it this year. We don't know that for sure. And so like, is John Collins. Well, you brought in you brought in uh, uh, someone to start over your second best player in his contract year. Yes, and, and or, who, or you're going to start or you're going to start them together, and that's going to create problems too. You're going to play yeah. Gal with the three. How the hell are you going to stop anybody? We. <laughs> I thought you were. I thought you were talking about Gal with the four and 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 uh, and Collins the five. Which again, how the hell are you going to stop anybody? And then yeah. you've got yeah, um, yeah. So there, there's there's. It's not not an not an easy hand. Lloyd Pierce has been dealt there. I mean, it, yeah. So I, you know, of the two, I like what Phoenix did more, just because like Chris Paul is, you know, okay. Say we we want to get some excitement. We want to do some winning. We want to really, you know, show Devin Booker. You know, both both show him that we're serious and also get him some like high level, you know, playoff experience. All right, good. Um, they they. I, I think they have a reasonable chance to do that. Is Atlanta any sort of lock to even make the playoffs this year? No. In the East? No, I don't think Phoenix is a lock to make the playoffs in the West, but like, you know, not being a lock to make the playoffs in the West is is not quite the shameful thing it is in 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 the Eastern Conference. Well, I'll, I'll I'll give an example of that. So I was just as an as a thought exercise as I was waiting for signings to roll in this morning. 
I was doing kind of like a really basic separate conference tiers. And what was so funny to me was my bottom tier in the West, I might like, cause I like to group them and then label them. Like, cause sometimes then you get into, you get it yourself into traps if you label first. And what I thought of for the group title for the bottom group was like, still good. Like these aren't terrible teams. Like they're not great teams in any resemblance of form, but it's like, wait, so you, you, you have teams plural in the bottom tier in the West. I do. Okay, it's... Uh, because we don't know exactly what OKC is yet. That's fair. That's fair. Like, I mean, if if they have Al Horford and they have Shea and they have some of these other like capable players still, they'll be fine. I mean, I think they won't be great, did, but did like they end up with they ended up with George Hill, right? They have him right now. That is how I will phrase it. <laughs> yeah, fair. Okay. They, well, and and that gets into another another brief point we could talk about. And you you probably might have more. Well, you definitely have more practical experience, even if it's more limited than I do here, which is. It changes around due to team circumstance, but I think Sam Presti has benefited, and to his own credit, I'm not giving, I'm not saying that he was like a, you know, that he that he fell into this, of being, I think, the first front office, the first general manager the teams think of when you like they like need somebody to do something, and just like everybody calling OKC just puts them in the middle of all this. And one of the most basic things that they get here is information. Like I think Sam Presti knows everything that's going on in the league because everybody's talking to him about what the like kind of how they're doing their business. And he's <laughs> if you know anything about how OKC operates, he's giving away no information. Zero. Uh, <laughs> which is um yeah. Um I think I mean I think by reputation the other GM who who kind of falls into that boat is is Tommy Shepard though Washington like Washington did did well with that last offseason and maybe not as maybe they just didn't have as much kind of going on this time to to be in be in those kind of yeah they, they like so that's why I said it's kind of circumstances like yeah. they were too constrained by their by their own circumstance to to really yeah. wield that though and so like OKC had the perfect storm of person who is thought of in this way and they have infinite flexibility and he's just always down at the, yeah. when he's in this when he's in this point and so that led to them being involved in a three-team trade and a four-team trade at the same time it uh yeah i i'm 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 dizzied by <laughs> by you know who who has come and gone from from the thunder and i i still don't know i don't know what to make of them um but i think i mean i think yeah i mean if we're mentally tearing off the West, they're kind of off to a side. And then it's like, is it, is it well, Minnesota there's, by there's themselves? No, there's, no, there's nothing the more challenging tearing the West than what to do with the Houston Rockets. <laughs> so it's like, you know, as of, as of right now, I don't think they're going to be terrible. Right. Like their, their roster right now is, is they're a playoff pretty, team. Like yeah. they're a playoff team right now. Yeah. They're, right. I don't think they're going to continue to be one because I think they'll do something. But yeah, but if they like that, that to me is the most wild thing about the Rockets is that yes, they got worse trading Robert Covington for upside down question mark. I guess eventually Christian Wood, but they still have James Harden. They still have Russell Westbrook. They if still. Not, I mean, if they're not going to play D'Antoni Ball, I you know I'm a, I'm a big Robert Covington fan. But if they're not going to, you know, part of his specific value to them was. As the four or five and whatever, let's get weird thing they're doing. Yeah, and so turning that into a you know a young upside, modern face up big, albeit with you know limited sample size of good play and baggage, it's not you know you, you one could do worse. And they still have James Harden and you know some good some very solid kind of stuff around like you know um, maybe. It, it, 
is is Eric Gordon done? I don't know. If he if he's healthy, he's still pretty good. I mean, if you know Daniel House has turned himself into a, a pretty good player, um, dot dot dot. Um, you know, PJ Tucker is still so yeah. That, that's a. I mean, I don't have to list off their roster, but they they're still a pretty good team. Yeah, they're not super deep, but they have talent. No. Yeah. Now, like, as you say, I think that there's you know who who knows what it's going to look like going forward. But so, as, but my, but so I guess my point is, as of right now, like if you're doing like bottom tier, like I'm sure bottom tier, like, OK, teams I'm sure are in the bottom tier. It's like Minnesota, right? Yeah. It's that that's, you know, um, I worry a little bit about Golden State, but I think that they're that like Steph is going to be enough to keep them off there. I, I think like, of them kind of similarly to the Rockets, incidentally, yeah. where it's like they have a player on their team who, if they are healthy, you would yeah. expect that they'll have a pretty good offense when they're on the floor. Yeah. Now, we can't guarantee that. And if, if for very different reasons, we can't guarantee that that player is going to be on the floor for that team. But right. you get into that. And, and you know, like, I mean, and the one of the things that I find so interesting about the bottom of the West is they're like the best case scenarios for some of these teams, like San Antonio. Like, I don't expect San Antonio to make the playoffs in the West because the West is ridiculous. And like, I don't see, I don't see a 45 win team in there right now. I could be wrong, but like as much as as much as I liked some of what I saw from the Bubble Spurs, that's probably a little bit rich for them. But I could see them having a pretty good year. You know, it's that that's sort of a situation for a few different teams out there. And w- I think one of the other most striking things, and this is toned down a little bit with the Ibaka and Gasol things, and I want to talk to you briefly about that too, is some of these kind of like tier two teams really getting getting worse i don't think it's like you know to, like toronto they're taking a big step back they lost some important players and they replaced them but they didn't replace them with guys as good did, as they are did any of the top teams in the league get better i'm a little bit so i think the clippers might have just because while i like jermichael green a lot functionally speaking jermichael green didn't get to play enough and right. Serge Ibaka is way better in the situations that matter to them than uh, than Montrez Harrell is. And the Lakers are fascinating because I would have said they got meaningfully worse before today. And I still think that's probably true. But what Gasol gives them is that if Frank Vogel can eventually get to the spot in the rotation, like... They could they like there's a there's a, a dynamic team in there. I just don't know exactly like especially with Wes and having KCP and some other stuff. Like the best versions of this Lakers team, I think, could be better than the team that won the title. But how often are they going to be there? I don't know. That team could look creaky at times, also. Oh yeah, real yeah. creaky. Yeah. Um, well, like and, I think yeah. Did, go ahead. Did, did like did Boston like. Boston got worse. Better, their their betterness is like internal improvements, right? Yes. Uh, Toronto probably, you know, somewhat worse. Uh, although I, I uh, although one um, that's more Ibaka than it is Gasol. I think Baines and Gasol is wash ish at this point, which sounds sacrilegious. Well, they they do they do different things. I think that yeah, like, do, but, Mark is very good at very small specific things that matter some of the time, but definitely yeah. not all the time. Yeah, and, I think they're they're like they they probably have to play differently. Yes, um, without you know without Gasol's kind of high post passing. Um, but that's you know they have they have guys they've they got have, some guys they, they have things. guys like that that is yeah. definitely true. Um, I mean, I guess uh, you know Philly probably got a fair amount better, but I don't think I don't think anyone the way their team played out last year. I don't think that uh, despite um, 
you know, some people who were very optimistic about them before last season. Uh, oops. Um, <laughs> hey, both of us. They, yeah, uh, I think that they 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 got better, but you know that's that's again that's not a last year's top team that got better. Right, um, like similar story to me with Dallas. Depending on what yeah. it's like, I think Josh Richardson is going to help them a lot. Yeah, but, does, but they weren't they weren't a top, they weren't a top like I, they they got better, but they weren't a, right. Like Utah got, I think, a little bit better. Um, I'm not sure about like the asset usage to get there. Uh, Portland got better, but again, that was a team that like. Albeit for some injury reasons, kind of skin of their teeth into the playoffs. So it's not like that's a that's a you know a juggernaut that got better. So <laughs> that's true. And then I think, I think the Nuggets I, got worse. Um, maybe not as much. Like uh, yeah, Adam Adam Morris said this well that I think yeah. that the, his theory was that losing Jeremy Grant in particular is more of a playoff loss than a regular season loss, and I think that's fair. They're just a less versatile team now, and yeah. the versatility matters. But also, like, remember, they they are getting guys back that weren't themselves and weren't in, like, Will Barton wasn't in, really in the bubble, and then, you know, Gary Harris wasn't really himself, though we don't know what himself Gary Harris is anymore. So, yeah. Like, um, and, and I think, I mean, Jermichael Green's a pretty good save. Yes. There. I oh, think, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think, I mean, again, this is, is we can litigate Jeremy grant to to uh, seven ways to sunday but i think that there's uh he's a player that the idea of has you know and the idea of kind of actualized for a couple games in the western conference finals which they ended up losing um that uh you know um there was a competitive but ultimately not close series Mm -hmm. i don't know how to best describe it yeah, I, I think that's pretty reasonable. Yeah, and he was and he was and he was frisky in that series, and that's the kind of the best version of him. Sure, but that's not the version of him that anyone has ever got for um, a huge length of time. He's so this is this is something that I'm probably going to write about this week is comparison of the decision that he made versus Fred VanVleet made, in that I think both players were in perfect roles, and one guy chased more. And I think it's going to work out badly for him. I think and I'm not it, saying I he chased. Could, I'm not saying he chased more money because, like, uh, it appears I mean, that he didn't. Yeah, it appears he didn't. He's chasing, you know, bigger role, and it's like it's not a lot about his skill profile that suggests a bigger role is a good idea. Yeah, and 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 you know, Fred Van Vliet is is I think somewhat similar. I mean, this is. I think we've probably talked about this, whether in writing or on a podcast, is like, you know, the Knicks supposedly circling around Van Vliet is like, man, that has Knicks disaster written all over it. And kudos to the Knicks for not, yeah. knock on wood, not disastering so far. Like that, that's a pretty important step for them. They, they've, they've signed Peyton. They signed Austin Rivers to, you know, a smaller, it was a 310. 310. And and, and Nerland's one year five million. That's fine. Nothing nothing to. I mean, I would have liked for them to have been more active in some of the other discussions, but right. And but there wasn't uh, like the what we, I was so grieved about with the Knicks last year was the like Iguodala and the Mo Harkless deals, where teams basically rented out their cap space for a very <laughs> high return last year. That didn't really happen as much this year. Like there were some weird return trades, like the OKC one where they traded they traded Marcus Soul for George Hill and some filler and got a first round pick for it. Like Steve that Adams. was that was bananas. Like you get the but that but they don't but the Knicks don't have Steve Adams. So like and, and that was why OKC why OKC got that was because they traded yeah. somebody who another team thought was good. Yeah. Um. So well, the last thing I want to kind of end with you, you and I like you, you, we had a like kind of a. A little discussion. Well, we didn't even really have discussion. It was just invoked 
of the playoff prism. And I thought that that would be an interesting little glimpse to give people of kind of how you and I think about these things. Yeah, I think that – so this is something that that, that there's sort of – there's a I'm trying to think of the best way to explain. There, there's your, – your team overall has to be good enough to get in the club of the teams that get to think about things through the lens of the playoffs. And then once you're there, every decision has to be through the lens of the playoffs. So that's like any move that, that either LA team – at this point, you got to say Denver, uh, Toronto, Boston, Milwaukee, Miami. Uh, you pick and choose a few other teams. Every move they they make has to be looked at. What does this What does this move mean for us in the second round? Second round conference finals, finals. Like how does this? You know, well, we we know we're going to win fifty plus games and probably be right there for home court. Yada yada yada. The regular season is not regular season is more for trying and trying stuff out and maintaining and training um we don't we're not we're we're not proving some we're not, we're not winning the title in you know normally you'd say we're not winning the title in november but i guess we're not winning the title in january this year so um what do these guys look like in may what does this move do do for us in may and i you know that's a little bit of the the which the 82 game versus 16 game player i don't but think, I think that's it's a, a little bit more specific i think it's yeah. more the eight games it's not even this it's not yeah. even the 16 and when you like the understanding that the best teams don't have the same weaknesses and they have you get the coaching of of a playoff series and attacking yeah. weaknesses and so like i'll use i'll use milwaukee's early signings here so like they're they're they got DJ Augustine for yeah. most of the mid-level exception. DJ Augustine will help them in the regular season. He's a capable steward. He, you know, I, I think DJ Augustine has been underappreciated, and it was a mis- I, I, I feel, you know, I'm one of my mistakes in '16 was criticizing his contract with when almost every other one was bad. His ended up working out okay for Orlando, but he's, but the, like he's too small. Like he, he their defensive limitations also when you bump up the athleticism, the aggregate athleticism of teams, I think that his game is going to work more poorly. So he's probably a ten minute a game maybe guy in those kinds of series. And you and the other big problem is he can't scale. So he's not a ten minute a game guy and oh if your starter gets in foul trouble, you you know, if you give him twenty, it's not a big deal. Like that is a big deal. Yeah. I mean the the, the defensive side is you I mean you you a similar style but much better player in Kemba Walker had you know was was became a target was hunted aggressively yeah. hunted second round yeah. on yeah and I think that I think that that Kemba is a more capable of, of getting it back on the other end and B I think probably a more live defender than DJ Augustine so that's now obviously you're not asking him to do the same things but I'm just like in terms of 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 you know you know, it, there's. I think you think you would I, you and you and Nate kind of talked about um, Boston letting Brad Wanamaker go. Yeah, and you know, in you're in the you're in the conference finals. Who would you rather have as your backup point guard? Now, I'm not I'm not saying I would definitely prefer to have Brad Wanamaker, but it, you you pause, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and you know, one guy is going to get a minimum. And and and, or, and one guy yeah. like has more like has more of a tr- an immediate track record to fall back on, yeah. and the other guy just kind of hasn't. Yeah. So that's I, I mean I think that's that's sort of the that that's the that's an example. But I think it's not, saying that there's an 82 game versus 16 game player is not quite right because it's Agreed. it's player 
it's player X role that determines like, can, what, what does, does this guy, what he, we're asking him to do on our team, does that work in, in, so a guy like, you know, there are guys who, okay, that that guy's not a, that guy's not a starter in the, in, you know, whatever of the playoffs, but he, he can, he can be on the floor. Like, um, you know, I think like Terry Rozier was a, was a perfectly cromulent like bench guard in high, in high level playoff situations. Uh, if if and as Charlotte gets better, he is never a starting guard, a starting level guard at like, you know, second round plus. That's the same player. It's just what are you asking of him? Right. Yeah, that, that's a really good way to put it, because, yeah, it, it's not only how he's this player. It's also how is he at what you need him to do? Yeah. And yeah, so for Boston, he could kind of slide down in the pecking order, do the things that he was good at and get some opportunistic shots. And, and, and that worked fine and maybe create a little bit. Yeah, I think that. Rozier is an interesting example of that. Yeah, you get through it. And then, you know, like Bobby Portis is another one for me. Like Bobby Portis, if we're staying with Milwaukee. Yeah. Abysmal defensively. I, just, I, I can't. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it kind of go, it kind of goes without saying it. So like, to me, what, what I, the way I handle, like it, it is a far more of a blessing than a curse to be in that situation to, to like when you can fully flip that switch, like Milwaukee's done. And it is a statement of, it is an achievement of team building, of player development, everything to get to that point. But it is extremely important once you get to that point to think about it. And I thought that, you know, like they ended up not even making the playoffs, but like that was something that the Lakers in terms of they really got wrong in 20 in 2018 was they kind of got all these guys like how like even if it works, how is this going to work? Like that's sort of it's sort of a challenge and the theory of the of the case with that team was bad. But and also, like, I still have that misgiving with, like, I think that another great example of this is Montrez Harrell. Like, even before they got Marcus Gasol, I, Harrell's not a bad player. You know, he's, he does very specific things well, but I've been worried about him. Like, that was something I was banging that drum on the Clippers and he had a, disp- like, an a non-representatively terrible playoffs right. due to circumstances outside of control. But the theory problems were always there. Like, that's yeah. not anything, that's not anything new. And so for the Lakers, it was even more extreme because it's not like the Clippers were, okay, we need to have somebody at center. And yeah, Jermichael Green, I think they should have given more of a chance at everything else. They're like, we need to have somebody, he's, he's good, let's give him a shot. And I think Doc overused that and everything else. The Lakers have their, that eight-game center, he just starts at power forward. Sometimes. He didn't even start at power forward in the finals because they realized, oh crap, we need to actually play him at center. And like, so to use your biggest resource to get a player that in your best iteration is not on the floor is troublesome. Yes and no. I think for, especially for a team that's already really good, like if you're using your, your mid-level to, you know, get a second unit score who isn't going to close for you, it's fine. As long as you have, as long as you have your other ducks in a row. Yeah. I I think that like, I agree with you if, if. Yeah. I mean, they're. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, I think there's gonna, there's probably a little bit of of a similar thing that they did this year, where they're gonna be, they're gonna be top heavy, and it's gonna be situational down below. Now, I don't, I think that there's been some, some parts of that have, you know, have have improved. Some parts haven't. I mean, I think that, like, I think that they're, for example, um, there's gonna be a downgrade from Danny Green to Wes Matthews. Um, I think, I mean, he's not as big, and he's. 
Mm. McGillies. But, but, but did, but did Green only made 29% of his threes in the finals or whatever that was close to yeah. it. So obviously he's a terrible player. Yeah, he, he missed a shot. He missed a shot to win the finals. So therefore, I know. No, I mean, Danny, you know, Danny Green might or might not be, you know, on the physical downside, but Danny Green is a pretty good player still. Um, you know, your I think your mileage may varies greatly on Dennis Schroeder. Um, he's not someone who has a much of a track record of playoff success. Let me say. <laughs> um, now again, if you're if you're you know okay, well, especially in the regular season, but in like you know second quarters and and you know late late third quarters of some playoff games, like we roll out that you know the Schroeder Harrell pick and roll and. You know, we, you know, let LeBron and AD rest and we, you know, we just outscore teams for a little bit. Yeah, that sure. Like that's that's not a not an awful theory, but um, I don't, you know, I, I don't know if Dennis Schroeder is going to give them what Rajon Rondo kind of unexpectedly <laughs> gave them late yeah. in the playoffs uh, last year. Um, so and. And it's also it's also a fair it's also a wonder yeah. whether Rondo would have done that in yeah, another year. Yeah, yeah, I don't I, like. I'm not saying that Rondo would have. It's just you know that's that's there's a, there's a little bit of lightning in the bottle there, and that's you know that's that's what happens when you win a title. Like you know, there's you 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 catch those breaks, and that's you know, and that's that's not a thing that one applies an asterisk to. That's just how it works. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anything else that you feel like we should definitely discuss briefly, or are we good to go? Um, I'm just I'm I'm. I'm unpacking still everything and trying to, um, yeah. I mean, I think I think what we saw was the fact that that there's a lot of lot of people who've who spent a lot of months uh, turning over a lot of scenarios in their head and just like <laughs> you know you know how you you uh, the the toy cars that you kind of wind up and the wheels spin. Yeah, it's, it's kind of you they wound all the way up and then like held them in the air and then dropped them on the ground and there we go. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of energy. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, again, we, we talked about not a lot of the top teams moving more laterally at best. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's, maybe that's a little bit what we saw. Yeah. I think that it is. Um, I think that's totally fair. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Seth Partnow for taking the time to come on. You can, of course, read his excellent work at The Athletic. You can also listen to the Nerder She Wrote podcast that he does, highly recommended. And you can also follow him, if you don't already, on Twitter, at Seth Partnow, S-E-T-H-P-A-R-T-N-O-W. Love having him on, and especially in this wonderful, chaotic time that we are that we were going through in the NBA. I really love talking with him about, about all of that, and, and hopefully you enjoyed the conversation too. If you want to hear or see more from me, there are lots of ways you can do it. You can listen to Dunked On, Dunked On regular, you know, the free public one that comes out Sunday night, Monday morning. And then Dunked On Prime is the other four days in the week. So great time to subscribe. We are doing a subscription discount right now. So you can check that out. I believe that's only on year longs, but you can take a look. I tweet it out fairly frequently. And of course, my written work is at The Athletic. It's in a lot of different forms right now, full pieces, also a lot of contributions on other things. I try to retweet those and tweet them out myself when they come out, including like Fred Van Vliet and Gordon Hayward. And it's a lot of fun to do these kind of collaborative little segments with other people. And 
I'm obviously fascinated to see where all of this goes. And we're going to be knowing things pretty quickly because we're going to be getting into the season and going to have a lot of a lot, like a few fun conversations between now and then, including hopefully catching up on the draft. Um, hoping to do that soon. Sam Vecini's taking a little bit of time off after that insanity. And so hopefully soon thereafter, I will talk to him. And then everything else. There's there's a lot of other stuff to get through, and I'm extremely excited for it. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast, whatever choosing. Great for Apple Podcasts. Totally understand if it's not. can also spread the word of mouth. That's very useful. And also... Subscribing and downloading every episode, whether you use Spotify, Apple Podcasts, really wherever you are, that is a big, big help because that helps for our numbers and it gets you in the habit. And this will never come out on a specific day of the week. It can't happen with my schedule and my guests. So subscribing is the best way to connect with it. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to do so. Twitter is too ephemeral. And if it goes into a specific spot in my email, so if you write it, I will see it. And I don't promise to respond, but I do do promise to read it because that is important to me. And as you can guess, a lot of things are going on right now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Mm-hmm.